0: Hi, everyone. This is Janice Alpert. Welcome to my first episode of On Purpose. And as you heard in the trailer, I'm going to be interviewing a variety of people, a variety of ages, talking to them about what they feel their life's purpose is. Do they think they're doing it on purpose, intentionally? What does that look like? Because, of course, as we go through life, our purpose may change. Sometimes our purpose might be that I'm just going to be a great meditator. So I don't want everyone to think, oh, I have to have this big purpose, like I have to be the president or CEO of some company. I think everyone's purpose is unique. And as I said, I'm going to encourage people to look at how that flows throughout your life so it doesn't have to be a a unilateral kind of thing. But I thought it'd be important before I started interviewing other people to have myself be interviewed and sort of give you a flavor for how I got to where I am, including doing this podcast and my kind of pathway and journey to finding purpose in my life. And again, continuing to define what does purpose mean for each person. So what I'm going to do today is have my producer, Noah. Hi, Noah.
1: Hi, Janice. How are you today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Oh, very well. Thank you.
0: So Noah is going to be interviewing me today and I'm going to be sharing a bit about my life and my life story and how I got to where I am right this moment in terms of, again, living my life with purpose at this stage of my life. So that's how we're going to begin. And just also as you saw from the trailer, I ended that with a quote. I'm going to end each podcast episode with a little inspirational quote. I will hope will help you move along just to think a little bit more about what your purpose is and how you're kind of doing again, particularly after this crazy 2020 and we're not done yet. It doesn't seem like we're done yet. And so it's been a challenging time particularly. So hopefully I can be of help.
1: Janice, the first question that I have for you today as we sort of offer the listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more is how did you come to find your life's purpose? What was your journey to discovering what purpose meant for you in your life? You know, how old were you? When was that, that you first experienced that?
0: Great question. One that I'm sure I'll be asking my interviewees as well. So just going back, I grew up on the South side of Chicago in the South Shore neighborhood, very much a baby boomer. My parents, my dad was in the war. He came back. They bought a little bungalow house. You know, we were very middle-class, you know, we were fine, but that was kind of what the community was. A lot of people, you know, vet from the, from World War II and my mom had, well, she done unfortunately she had a baby before my brother that passed away. So that was kind of a trajectory in our family about tragedy and how even with tragedy, you move forward to the best of your ability. Anyways, after that, she had my brother who's two years older than me, myself, and then my sister. And just ironically, I have to just put this as a side note, the neighborhood that I grew up in turned out that would be where Michelle Obama was raised 15 years later. So when I read her book Becoming, um, I, I couldn't help smiling when she was sharing some of her anecdotes about her growing up, which was probably about a mile from where I grew up. But anyways, that's a sidebar. He had a very kind of typical middle class, you know, at that time growing up. My dad actually was a tailor by trade and then went back to college and law school because he always wanted to do something better for himself. So again, another role model that you never have to stop. He went back to college after three children. I think he was 38, became a lawyer at 42. And so kind of a remarkable man in that way. And then my mom was like a stay at home, you know, typical 50s housewife. So that was kind of how I was raised. But in that environment, as my dad was kind of a workaholic and my mom was kind of she was a little bit overbearing, kind of overprotective and not super sensitive to other people's feelings. I would say I was about six. My sister was just born. She's five and a half years younger than me. And I remember looking in the mirror going, yeah, my mom's not really going to get me. So I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. So at a very young age, I kind of, I don't know how I knew this and that goes back. Well, it doesn't go back to, but what I will be talking about throughout the podcast series is, our soul and our connection to our deepest self. So again, at six, seven years old, I don't know how deep I was, but I had that feeling like, yeah, I think I better start taking care of myself. And that was kind of it. So emotionally, I did that. I was pretty independent. My school years were very, I would say, indescript in particular, nondescript. You know, went to grammar school, went to high school, was an average student. But I met my boyfriend when I was 16, and that became very much a focal point of my life. And why I share this part of my story is I was not a deep thinker. I wasn't thinking, what's my purpose? Once I met my boyfriend, who later became my husband, ex-husband now, though we are very good friends, I just wanted to marry him. That was kind of my goal. I didn't really have any deep thoughts. It was right during the Vietnam War and the 60s and people were marching and a lot of political unrest, like, you know, with everything, with racism and, and the Vietnam War and just everything. And I was watching like all my children, my soap opera and wanted my hair straight. So it wasn't like I had any deep thoughts. I had some really nice girlfriends and I did plan to go to college, but mostly because I wanted to get out of my house. Again, I was saying my my parents, especially my mom was a little overbearing and I just needed some independence. So I went to a state college so I could be close to my boyfriend, dated him all through college. And even in college, I didn't have a specific like, oh, I really want to be a therapist. No, I just wanted to graduate college. I didn't even care about graduating college initially. I just wanted to marry my boyfriend, which I ended up doing, but I did graduate college. So that summer I graduated in June, got married in August, and I did start teaching. I graduated with a teaching degree in September. So again, was very young. We had a cute little apartment in the city and I began my life. I really did not love teaching. I wasn't a good match for um, my school and my principal. I had been uh, trained in a very um, unconventional, progressive education program. And then I went to teach at a very structured school. So my style and the principal style didn't match. And since I was only 22 years old, I had to kind of formulate, you know, do what he wanted versus what I really wanted. And it just was a bad experience. So, and I, then I got pregnant. And it really was when I had my son, who is going to be 46, like in a week, when they brought him to me, I remember looking at him thinking, who are you and who am I to raise you? And what the heck am I doing? I was 24 years old. I didn't know anything about anything. And I do want to share this one little anecdote that I'm going to come back to in terms of synchronicity and the law of the universe, whatever, is during the time when I was pregnant with Josh, my older son, we had the opportunity Lamaze was very big back then it was prepared childbirth and we took a class and our instructor who was very active in the Lamaze community asked if any of us wanted to have our birth filmed for educational purposes and i had seen a birth in college you know in one of my health classes or whatever and i thought oh that would really be cool and bobby my ex-husband was you know husband at the time was on board with that so we ended up having our birth filmed and they showed that film in all the high schools and grammar schools. And just to fast forward a bit, when Josh was in high school, his friends took health and they were showing that movie. So his friends would come up to him and say, Josh saw your mom in all her glory giving birth. So it was kind of a funny, embarrassing thing for him, but there's a reason I'm bringing up the story. Anyways, so I had Josh and Came home, had a great, everything was great, great delivery, healthy baby. We're all happy. My family's happy, all happy. I'm happy. We're all happy. But during that time, I became very, very, very consumed with, I needed to get my weight off. So all growing up, eating was not an issue. Weight was not an issue other than my mom was overweight. So I was very concerned with never being overweight, but my dad was tall and thin. I was tall and thin, You know, still am, and became though really, really obsessed with, I, I want this weight off. And even though after I had Josh, my weight did come off within about three or four weeks and I looked fine, but it wasn't fine enough. That was also during the time when Twiggy, the super skinny model from England, became popular. So eating disorders were very, very, very rampant during the 60s and 70s, particularly 70s and 80s, very, very much in the forefront of the media and a lot of attention given to it. You had to look a certain way. You had to be a certain way. And so I became obsessed with my food, my diet, my eating, my weight, and was dieting and exercising. Then I would binge, I would gain weight and lose weight. And it was a really, really very destructive way of living. So during this period of time, though, I was still being a mom, but not really, I think I got a part-time job at a store. I just wasn't fulfilled. Loved my boy, but there just was something missing. I didn't know what it was. And that's really when I kind of began my search, like I'm, I'm missing something here. What, you know, what is it? It was like an inner voice inside, like was like, what's up? And I'm doing all this crazy eating and I know it's crazy and why can't I stop? And why am I dieting? And why am I, you know, then I'd be fasting, then I'd be exercising. It was just a whole crazy syndrome. When Josh turned about two, we decided we would try for a second baby and I couldn't act pregnant. And I went through every fertility Specialist and shots. It was just really, really stressful. All my friends are having their second babies, and I have to go over and be happy for them and then go home and cry. It was very upsetting time. And we talked about adoption, but I didn't really know. Could I love another baby like I love Josh? And my friend, any baby, even if I was, came from my body, that's how much I love this boy and still do. And a friend of mine had a second child. And I went over and held that baby, a little girl, and I went you know what? I can love this baby. At this point, Josh is four. And I go, I could love this baby. And then lo and behold, Bobby, my husband at the time, got a call from a cousin who was a lawyer that they heard about some woman that was pregnant and from California, which I'll tell you why I'm telling you that. But she came to Chicago to have the baby and she wanted to give the baby up for adoption. And they knew we were having problems. Would we be interested? And we went, yeah, this is like falling into our lap. So the baby was due the end of May. So we're waiting. And meanwhile, that film that I had told you about of me giving birth to Josh, Bobby, he went and had the film that was on a big reel made into, at that time, a Betamax you know, VHS tape. And he brought it home this one day in June. And we decided we were telling Josh that babies come to families in different ways. And we talked about adoption and we talked about you know fostering and all kinds of things. So we decided we would watch the movie together. So me, Josh and Bobby, were all watching me give birth together. I'm a pretty open person. So I'm okay with Josh seeing himself give birth, even though he went Ooh, not an hour later. So I'm watching the movie. I'm crying. I hadn't seen it in a zillion years, you know, a long time at 620. We watched the movie from six to 630 at 720. I get a call that my second son, Michael, was born at exactly 620. So while I'm giving birth, watching myself give birth. My second son is being born. So, Michael, who's 42, loves that story because it's just like he couldn't come through my body. So, he came to me in a different way. So, we feel some very strong connection there. So, that was another like, do, 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 like, what's going on here? So, meanwhile, back to the eating part, I'm thinking I'm still out of control. Now I have two kids and I'm dieting. Then I start to decide I'm going to open up my own catering company because during all my eating, Escapades, I became a phenomenal cook. So I decided I should open up my own business and I called it Jan's Kitchen. So I did that for a while. But the problem was, I would cook a meal and maybe I'd make my client a dessert and then I would eat the dessert and have to make a second dessert. So I just thought, okay, I'm out of control. It's time for me to go for help. This is not normal. What the heck am I doing? I knew it wasn't about the food, it had to be about something else. So I went for help. And the result of that was my first ever experience. I'd never been in any kind of therapy, never thought about it never thought about examining myself more deeply, but I couldn't stand the eating out of control behavior I was doing and how it made me feel. And my weight was up and down. It was just bad. So I went for therapy and through the therapeutic process, I began to address my deepest, really truest feelings, which sometimes that's hard, but that is our truth. And I kind of began realizing that while I love Bobby, we were growing in a different direction. And And then I'm thinking, oh, my God, no one in my family gets divorced and nobody I know gets divorced. I've got two kids. I can't do this. But then I decided I had to do it. And it was super, super, super hard. And right around as I'm trying to decide doing this, which was about a three or four year process, I decided to go back to school. I loved the therapy process. And I thought, I'm going to be a therapist and loved it. Got my master's degree. Bobby and I were still together during this time. He was very supportive in helping me start my own private practice, you know, in terms of financially getting me going. I did a lot of marketing for myself and I decided to specialize in eating disorders and compulsive overeating, anorexia, bulimia, and that kind of became my specialty. And I did very, very, very well. And I've published, as I said, in my initial, you know, in the trailer, I've published three books and my big excitement was that appearance on, well, three appearances on Oprah as the guest. So. My practice started going very well. And the more that I was trying to help other people, I really just got deeper into, I'm not feeling, yeah, this, isn't, this marriage is not working. So ultimately, I did do the brave, hard thing, and I got divorced, which again, that was 30 odd years ago, in the long run was the best thing for me and my ex-husband, because he's happily married, I'm happily married. So it ended up all working out. But that was hard. And that was part of me searching, like, well, what is my truth? And if my truth is that I have to be alone or wait until I meet the right person, then I'm willing to do that. In conjunction, simultaneously, because again, I don't think we do life in a linear way. I think it's a multidimensional process. I started getting more interested in spirituality and really asking, continuing to ask, so what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of my life? What is? What am I doing here on earth? What is? am I living? my? Is, what's, what's my purpose? I don't know. And so I just kept reading, reading, reading tons of spiritual books. I'm very blessed that a, just by happenstance, the law of the universe would say that's not happenstance, that that all happened for a reason. Many of my women friends who I met in high school and college are on the same path. None of us were on that path at 18 years old or 20, but we ended up being on the path. So I had a lot of people I could talk to and I would go to workshops, et cetera, and just really examining what is life's meaning and being more awake to kind of the law of synchronicity. Like, was that just a coincidence that I watched that birth of me giving birth and my son was being born? I don't think so. And that's happened many, 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 many times throughout my life. And then as each challenge came up, so first it was going through the divorce. That was really, really hard. Building a private practice on my own. That was really, really hard and challenging, though that you know, I loved. My older brother, sadly, ended up having a brain tumor, which was very tragic in our family. He was, uh, he was a doctor. And then he ended up with leukemia and he needed a bone marrow transplant. And I turned out to be the match. And so that was very, very special. And my brother was super, super funny. And after the bone marrow transplant, and I went in to see how, he, well, you couldn't go in, but talk to him through the, you know, he was in an enclosed, you know, protective environment he's so funny. He goes like, I go, how you doing? He goes, I feel like I want to get my nails done because I had just, you know, my, my bone marrow was, my blood was now in him. So he he was funny. The good news is because of that, he survived probably another 20 years, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but we had a very, very close relationship. And I think some of that had to do with this, you know, unfortunate tragedy. So then I just kept going on more and more deeper work in terms of internal meditation. In my dating life, because I was single for about 15 years before I met my husband, I dated somebody for a long period of time back and forth. And he was a great, great guy. You know, he, he was almost like stepdad during that time when my kids were teenagers to my boys. But I just always felt something wasn't exactly right. I'm still good friends to this day with his daughters. And unfortunately, he got sick. I feel like I'm telling a lot of sad stories, but this too happened. He got very sick and passed away. But up until that time, we remained very, very close friends. And then about 20 years ago, I just said, you know what? I just really am ready to meet someone. It's like enough already. And I started doing more prayer, more meditation, more visualization. And lo and behold, back, just going back to the law of synchronicity. So when I was three and my brother was five, my parents decided to take a driving trip to Florida. My dad was big on those driving trips. We didn't have a lot of money and we stayed at some less than exotic motel. But while we were there, we met another couple, two other couples, actually, who were from Chicago, and they became lifelong friends of my parents. And they played cards together. They traveled together. And when I said to my mom, she was still living at the time, I don't know, I really just I'm ready to meet someone. And, you know, she said, well, I'm going to ask, you know, Vera, if her nephew got divorced, and I'm going to ask my good friend if he's available. And I thought, oh no, when my mom fixes me up, that's never a good sign. He's, you know, not gonna be cute or smart or funny. So I ask all those questions and nice, of course. And she goes, no, if it's Vera's nephew, he's fine, whatever. Anyways, so my mom ended up fixing me up with my husband, with her her friend Vera, who's my husband's aunt. And that would have only happened if we went on vacation 50 years prior to that. So I feel like my husband and I were meant to meet in this kind of really bizarre manner. So I think that when you're kind of on that path of looking at who you are in a deeper way and you're open to that your purpose and your life's purpose changes throughout. So, you know, when I started my search, it was really just to get to know myself, which is, by the way, that can be a purpose in itself. I don't, again, I want to just keep reiterating, your purpose doesn't have to be some huge, big thing. It can be anything. It's just that you have to, to me, part of it is that you know you're on the right path if you're kind of feeling, you know, alive. So when I first started it, it was, who am I? Who am am I to be a mother? Who am I to raise you? Then it was like, why the heck am I eating like this? So I had to go deeper to find out the answers to that. And once I realized that I couldn't be in this marriage, then my eating normalized because I was being more, you know, true to my feelings. Then I had to go through the divorce. And then I was like, okay, what does that mean now? I'm a single mother. How am I going to meet guys? How am I going to date while still being a and work. I had a date. I didn't have to date, but I wanted to date and work and then keep up my wonderful friendships. I have wonderful women friends, some of whom I'll be interviewing for this podcast. So it just, it keeps changing is what I'm saying. One's path. And so even with this whole podcast thing, so I turned 70 in 2020, the pandemic came and put everybody's life on halt. The last four years of our country has been in disarray, and while I've never been particularly political during this four-year period, not that I think this has anything to do with politics, I think it has to do with character. And unfortunately, our president, in my view, was lacking much of that in terms of honesty, integrity and just everything, inclusiveness. It was really, really hard for me to wake up every morning. And so that pushed me to think more about, well, how can I be kinder? And you know, I can't change him. But I would need to be kinder. And so, and then we had the pandemic, which I think was really the universe giving the whole planet a timeout because, you know, we're ruining our climate. I mean, there's just so many levels of things that I never thought about 30, 40 years ago that during these last four years and during this last year in particular, I think I was pushed or whatever. Uh, I started thinking more about that. And since we had to be home and we couldn't go anywhere, my meditation and my introspective time was heightened. And in addition, I started listening to podcasts. So I'm not particularly computer savvy. That's why in order for me to do this, I had to find you, Noah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I got it in my head that I could probably do a podcast and make it both entertaining. So it'll be fun, but informative and just help people feel supported and maybe give them kind of some food for thought of what, what are they thinking about and how are they doing their life and how could they improve it in a good, fun, productive, spiritually correct kind of way, not just for themselves, which of course is always number one, but for their families, for their community, for their friends, for the country and for the world. So it has to me like a, when you're on this path, it has like a snowball kind of effect. So I thought about doing a podcast and then I thought, I don't know, how am I ever going to do the technological aspect? So I just kind of put it aside in my head. I was doing some journaling about it and went, I don't know. And then I just go, okay, powers that be, if I'm supposed to do this, give me some information. And again, because I try to be awake because information like this can come in any form. It could be from TV. It could be from dinner with friends, which is how this happened. So I'm at dinner with some friends about three months ago. And, you know, like in their garage, you know, six feet apart, you know, with our masks, we just, you know, it was cold because I live in Chicago and I just said to the guy, so what have you been doing lately? How are you feeling your time? And he goes, oh, I did a really interesting thing. I was interviewed for a podcast. I went, really? Who did the podcast? And one thing led to another. And he told me, and I said, well, does this guy have like a producer or someone who puts it together? And he goes, yeah, he does. So he put me in contact with all those people, which you are one of them, Noah. And I told you, I want to do this. Can you make it happen? And you so wonderfully said, I can make it happen from the technological you know, part of this. So here we are. And then I thought about what do I want this to be about? And I thought, well, I think the central focus to me is no matter how old you are, that if you're really going to do your life well, so I may interview some 18-year-olds as well as people in, well, for sure, I'll be interviewing some people in their 70s because that's my genre. And it doesn't matter how old you are, that if you're, if you're feeling like I'm, I'm alive and I'm, I'm good with what I'm doing in my life, your life will go better. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect because mine wasn't and it isn't, but it just goes in a better direction. And as I was saying earlier, to just repeat our purpose changes and how we do that in a, and and why I called it on purpose besides the double, you know, entendre or whatever is is that it's, if you can do it in a thoughtful way, it just kind of goes better. Now, again, it doesn't mean you have to think about it every minute. Am I, on, am I doing my life with purpose? Am I doing it on purpose? No, no, no. You don't have to do that. But you do want to, be, that you want to be aware of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and how does it feel inside? If it feels good, then I'm probably doing well. And to be open to that because life is fluid, our purpose may change throughout life. And sometimes, so like to me, one of my deeper purposes over this year, and I consider this a purpose is just sitting in the here and now. That's all, that should be all of our purposes because we can't be worried about the future. We can't be worried about the back. So that, that should be in there for everybody all the time, that I just am going to sit more. And so someone might say, well, what kind of purpose is that? You're just going to sit and meditate? And I'm going, yeah, I think that's a pretty good purpose. So again, not to beat a dead horse, it doesn't have to be something grand or huge for you to feel alive and at peace because when you think about, well, how do I know? Because that's often a question. Well, how do I know if I'm really living my life with purpose? I go, because there's, you know, and, and, and again, on purpose, we, even if you're doing it not on purpose, you'll be on your purpose, which is really the key. You have a sense of inner peace. When we're not feeling a sense of inner peace and inner calm, and we're kind of agitated, and we're not exactly sure why, we're off kilter. We're off course. But the good news is you can bring it back in and get back on course with a little self-reflection and help, and hopefully sharing of stories. I think when we share our stories, that it's interesting, it makes us feel connected, that we're not alone, we're all in this together. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic, I'm talking about life. But I think the pandemic has even made that point even more. So that's how I got to be doing this podcast. I've continued working. So my purpose, you know, for sure is, is a helper. I'm clear on that been doing it for 40 years. I still work part-time. And part of what came in my head is I hope I can help on a grander scale. I want to be able to help, you know, more people. And so that's kind of my goal of why I'm doing this. And I feel that's, you know, what I'm doing right now is, and I'm doing that. And that's part of my purpose.
1: I love that story, Janice. That's such a wonderful story. And one question that I have for you, and of course, you'll get into this more in future podcast episodes but at the pinnacle of your career when you had those appearances on oprah and you were seeing clients all the time and helping people with eating disorders i suspect that the work that you were actually doing while somebody might just say you were you know working as a clinical therapist to help those with eating disorders had something to do with helping people realize their purpose exactly. or you know so i'm curious like There's so many destructive pathways that a person can go down in this life, and you know, an eating disorder is one of them. Is that linked to lack of a purpose?
0: Yes. So one of the things about eating disorders that is, you know, and like you said, it could. There's many destructive paths. There's addiction, and you know, drugs, and spending, and you know, um, anxiety, and whatever. And sometimes you do need. You might need some medication. So there's there's a multitude of ways of how one addresses it, but Eating disorder to me, and it's mostly women, though men can have it too, always stems from not just lack of purpose, but which the two are kind of correlated, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-worth. You know, women were hopefully with, you know, between the Me Too movement and everything else, we're hopefully moving, continuing to progress, one hopes. But certainly back in the 60s, 70s, and this is still true now, young women, because I saw a lot of teenagers, are always comparing themselves to others. They want to fit in. And the symbol of how they feel the best about themselves is their body. So if they're five pounds thinner, they think, yay, now I feel good about myself. The problem is once they lose the five pounds, then they still feel like crap. And then they want to lose another five pounds. So there's really never a number on the scale that's going to be good enough. I just was reading the paper this morning and was you know, thumbing through the at the end of the business section as the obituaries and a name crossed my path. And, and it said she died of an eating disorder. That just happened this morning. I don't know her. I mean, it was not a client or anything, but though I did look at her name to see if she was, because she's now 50 and she, you know, was. And how sad is that? So it's it's very, very, very serious, but it's a, also a very you know destructive way. So in my work with clients over the years, you know, in order to recover from an eating disorder, it's kind of a, again, it, one they have to start eating if they're anorexic. If they're bulimic, they have to stop throwing up, and if they're binging, they have to stop binging. So they there is I do do some talking around their actual relationship with food and how to get it more normalized. But the other part is when they go to do major restricting or they go to binge or they go to purge, that is preceded by some kind of feeling, whether it be hurt, sadness, anxiety. And instead of dealing with that feeling, which would guide them to what their purpose is as well, they eat, restrict, binge, purge, or whatever. So it's a the whole eating disorder is a mask for who they are on the inside. And the amount of time and energy that my clients have spent, and some still spending on what they eat, how they eat. I'm not even talking about health issues. I'm just talking about to maintain their body. That they, if they have, if they weigh themselves, some of my clients have weighed themselves three, four times a day. If that scale is up even a half a pound, then they feel horrible about themselves. And how is their whole self esteem based on the number on the scale? That's like messed up. That's not our path. You know, I look at that we are earthly beings here, but we're we're spiritual beings in an earthly body. So we have to take care of ourselves, body and soul. And when we make our whole self-esteem and our self-worth be about our body, we can't get to know ourselves well enough to know what our purpose might be. So in my my treatment, so I would often you work with a nutritionist to help get their eating a little more normalized because they have all kinds of ridiculous rules about what they can eat, what they can't eat, that they just kind of make up. I mean, or they'll read some kind of diet and then they take it to the nth degree. So I I try to get them a little more normalized around their food. And then I do ask them to keep a journal because if they have a feeling, so one of my, one example that always pops in my head is a woman that came into my office years ago and she came in, she was a a compulsive eater and she's probably in her fifties, whatever. And she says to me, I bought a coffee cake on the way to this appointment and I'm going to eat the coffee cake when I leave here. I'm just telling you that right now. And I go, okay. She goes, "So." work your magic if you can help me not eat it that'd be great so i went all right so i started asking her what was bothering her did anything happen that morning no what about the night before and she says well now that you mention it my daughter and i did have a little bit of a tiff and sometimes that happens because you know she was going summer with her daughter and i wanted her to put the daughter in the buggy strapped in and she doesn't strap her in and that makes me nervous because when she was a baby she fell out of her stroller and But why? And then she went, but I shouldn't tell her what to do. So I feel bad about myself. So I said, well, here's the thing. When you give yourself a should, like I shouldn't feel something, you've just increased the chances that you're going to do some kind of destructive behavior. In her case, it's eating. I feel that we have to allow ourselves to feel all our feelings and then not run away from them, but go towards them and figure out the best way to handle them. So in this case, it would have been, I am worried about my granddaughter. I have every right to feel that way. My daughter may not agree. That's hurtful, but I still feel worried and I have to sit with that worry, even though I know it's not going to do any good. And I didn't do anything so horrible. I have to let it go, which is one of the hardest things to do. But once I gave her permission to feel sad and worried until she found out that her granddaughter was okay, then her eating urge went away. And she, that was before texting, but she called later to leave me a message, said she threw the cake away when she left my office. So that's a typical example. It doesn't have to be traumatic things or like in my case, I had to make a decision to get divorced. No, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal to find your path. Mine was, you know, mine was was very like big, but you can find your path and find your purpose in a multitude of ways. You just you don't want to do destructive behaviors like using food or your body to again mask what your true purpose is. So that means sometimes you have to sit and be quiet whether that be through meditation, prayer, journaling, but you have to be able to be quiet, quiet that mind a little bit so you can listen to your inner self.
1: I love that. And the one thing I love about your message, Janice, with regard to eating disorders, it's stop diets, right? Because, you know, we live in a, obviously we have to take care of ourselves, you know, mind, body, and spirit, but also we don't want these Arbitrary restrictions, right? Uh, the coffee cake is not necessarily the enemy. It's the feeling that comes before it.
0: Exactly, and we all know sugar is bad, etc. I try to stay away from. But a piece, you can have a piece of coffee cake. That's not the end of the world. You're not going to have a heart attack. For, well, unless you have heart issues. But I'm just saying, whether it be a piece of coffee cake or you know a scoop of ice cream once in a month, none of that is is the like you said. That they're not the enemy. That, literally, I've said that a million times. Food is not the enemy it's you can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, again, unless you have major health issues. I was just watching this documentary that my son told me to watch on plant-based eating and how if you eat only from plant-based things, you have more energy. I totally agree with that. I am not doing that, but I totally agree with that. So what I'm saying is each person around there, if they're being true to themselves, they can figure out their eating in a healthy, balanced way without using it in a extreme way, whether that be extremely limited or extremely, you know, overeating, neither one of those is really healthy or good. And it keeps you from really knowing who you are on the inside. So we don't want to do that.
1: Janice, the last question I'll ask you as we sort of wrap up this conversation, what are you most excited about with regard to this podcast? What can listeners tuning in today look forward to on on purpose with Janice Alpert.
0: What I'm excited about is just to share the stories of all the people that I'm going to be interviewing and and show that from every walk of life, everybody's journey is different. So, like I'm I'm just I'm one of the people I'm going to interview is my husband and he is not like if someone were to say to me is he a super spiritual introspective person, I would say no. But has he led his life and does he lead his life still in his 70s? With purpose, 100%. So that's why I think he he may be my first interview. We'll see. I just think he's a great example of what I want people to know. It doesn't have to be, you know, super like, I have to find my purpose. Because sometimes I think with all this, I feel because there's been so much more spiritual awareness and people are, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Some people may feel very, very pressured. Like, I've just got to find it. I've got to find it. And I want everyone to take a deep breath and relax and just listen to some of the stories and see what hits you and see if you, there might be something in that story that might like, oh, maybe I could do that. Because the thing about change, and again, our purpose is always in flux, is that it's baby steps. It's little, little, little things. So you don't tackle everything right away. It's like baby steps. Even the way that I've done this podcast, it's been baby steps. First, I had to, have a night. First, I had to find somebody, which I did. Then, you know, I had an idea, then I had to find like, okay, what kind of graphic do I want? You know, and how do I even get it on? I don't know. So Noah's helping me with that. So it's being able to say, I'm going to do it step-by-step about whatever it is. So my biggest hope is that people will just feel touched really. And that something in what either I say or the guest says will touch them to look at themselves in a different way leave this half hour 45 minutes feeling a little bit better about themselves and about life and maybe have a new direction you know i don't know so i don't it's very open that's what i would say it's open yeah i just i'm excited about sharing kind of what i've learned in my 70 years and having some fun with it a little laughter never hurts so that's kind of what i'm i'm hoping for whoever listens i'm like so excited that you listen and tell your friends <laughs> and i'm going to close each episode as i said with a quote So here's my quote for today. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. You must be the change you wish to see in the world by Mahatma Gandhi. And I think I just love that because my interpretation of that is that if you want something different to happen, start with yourself. It doesn't you don't have to like I'm I'm not running for a political office. Maybe if I were younger, I might, but I'm, I'm not doing that. So, But there are other things you can do in whatever you're thinking, because there's a lot, even though that would not my last thing, let me just say this one last thing. There's a lot going on in the world right now where people feel that things are unjust and unfair and not balanced. There's a lot of divisiveness going on, a lot of anger, but I feel confident that if we, in our journey and particularly finding our purpose, we ourselves individually can be in a place of love and compassion and kindness that we are making our contribution. So again, to me, that's a per- that's one purpose, and that's the other thing too about living life on purpose. We don't have to have just one purpose. So I feel like I'm I'm a healer, I'm a helper, but I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. Do you know what I'm saying? We can have a lot of different categories, a lot of different places in our life to make sure that we have you know that we're on purpose. So it doesn't have to just necessarily be one thing, but just a little bit of change in how you see the world and how you think and how you react to the world and how you deal with the world from your heart being in a place of love. I think when I read that quote about again, let me just, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. That means you coming from a place of love. And from that, I do believe that will bring you closer to whatever your purpose or purposes might be, but it will also help the world.